Maximize Your Influence is your podcast for the latest persuasion, sales, and negotiation techniques. Our mission is to help you influence on command, anyone, anytime, anywhere. Your host is the author of Persuasion IQ, Laws of Charisma, and the best-selling book, Maximum Influence. Now, your host, Kurt Mortensen. This is Maximize Your Influence, the podcast that will help you make more money, be more successful, more influential, better negotiator. My name is Kurt Mortensen. This is episode 202. As we finish up the psychology of price techniques that make price a non-issue. We didn't finish it last time. We got a lot more great techniques for you. But before we get into that, welcome. Appreciate your feedback and thoughts. Getting ready to do a seminar in Chicago next week. So that's always fun. Always good food there. And I had an interesting week this week just because I've talked to people in Ireland, Egypt, mainland China, Singapore, people from all over the world. The techniques work. Doesn't matter where you go. You got to adjust them. It's always the same potatoes, change the gravy. It's always the same pasta, change the sauce, however you want to take it. So let me tell you, this works all over the world. People are hungry. They want to learn how to influence. And I love coaching because it takes people to the next level and they realize I should have learned this a long time ago, which is my mission, of course. Teach these things in school. We need to learn how to master skills. As parent, teachers, leaders, managers, customer service, sales, it doesn't matter. We all persuade and influence for a living. So again, episode 202. Can't believe we broke the 200 mark. We're plugging along. Love your feedback and thoughts. You can reach me at Kurt at MaximizeYourInfluence.com. In fact, MaximizeYourInfluence.com is a great place to go to get additional feedback information. Take your Persuasion IQ test. Look at the different products and services that we offer, and we can show you exactly how it's going to change your bottom line. Also, for those that are on Twitter, we are at InfluenceMax, and of course, Facebook is Maximize Your Influence. And of course, like us on iTunes. We appreciate that, and it really helps us. But let's kick off the show with the blunder. Last week, we did a ninja. This is the Persuasion Blunder of the Week. Homer, go! Don't, don't, don't! I know this might be hard for you to believe. And I think this is true for governments around the world, but I'm going to focus on the U.S. government. Not that they make a lot of mistakes, but they do make mistakes. And I'm going to call this the blunder because the last couple shows we focused on verbal packaging. Remember last week we did the restaurant menus, episode 200, we talked about words that persuade and words that are anti-suasive. If that's a word, I know it's not a word, but it's a fun word to say, anti-suasive. The government takes it to the extreme. If you verbally package your word on a menu or on a contract or during a presentation, if it's too much, it's too much because it gets on the radar. Our goal is to persuade below the radar, to not be visible on the radar. That's the key. And the government takes it a little too far. We're like, okay, really? Too much. So let me give you some examples. This is the blunder. They all come from the U.S. government. So instead of a recession in one of their reports, they call it accelerated negative growth. Yeah, right. Okay. They called poor people fiscal unachievers. Shot by the police was legal intervention. Got to watch that one. If there's legal intervention, you've been shot. So that's not a good thing. The potholes, right? The streets had lots of potholes. They called them pavement deficiencies. It's not a problem. It's a pavement deficiency. Okay. Illegal aliens known as an undocumented worker, depending on what side you're on. Riot known as civil disorder. And of course, what Congress did to us, they gave us a revenue enhancement, which means basically a tax increase. I mean, they went as far to call the garbage man a sanitation engineer. 
<laughs> so that's our blunder of the week. You can go too far with verbal packaging. It's also known as doublespeak. If you're interested, there's a book called Doublespeak that kind of categorizes all the words that have been used. And you're like, okay, they had a pharmaceutical preference. Okay, just say drug addiction, but they don't. Well, Congress had a dual conflict. No, that was a conflict of interest, but they don't, especially in politics. It's like, really? Just come on, come on. We can tell what side you're on by the words you're using. That is always interesting. So that is our blunder of the day. With that, let's hear the new sound for the article of the day. I'm getting kind of mixed ones between the old Urkel and the new sound, so let me know what you think. So let's hear it. All right, this one's kind of a weirder article than most, but I'm kind of a weird guy, so that makes it okay. And this is probably the first time I've ever mentioned the Journal of Cell Metabolism. That's where this is coming from. And UC Berkeley. And this is talking about that you're smelling your food makes you fat. Now, we've talked a lot about our olfactory system, how it's a subconscious trigger that smelling a perfume can send you back 10 years. Smelling cinnamon can make you more charitable. Smelling the bread in the bakery makes you buy more bread. Smelling uh, good smells in a home increases the chance you're going to sell. We know this is a huge thing, but this one was really interesting. And so UC Berkeley took a deep dive that our sense of smell, I mean, that's what gives us the enjoyment. I think we all realized as kids when we were eating Brussels sprouts that if we held our nose and had the water or milk ready that it was easier to go down. So our smell is a big part of that. And so they found with mice, I know it's always mice, that when they lost their sense of smell, they lost weight. So if you're trying to lose weight, maybe there's something there. We'll just plug your nose and it'll be good. Uh, maybe not. But anyway, <laughs> here's what's strange. The mice that lost weight ate the same amount of food as the ones that gained twice the normal weight. So there was something about smell and not smelling, even though they ate the same amount of food. Isn't that interesting? So there's something about odor and calories and how your food and brain process it. So because we know our olfactory system goes right to the center of our brain. It's an instant thing. And so they were trying to figure out what's going on, if this would work for humans. So what the study found is that the loss of smell of food itself plays a role and shows that there's an intervention for those who have lost their smell as well as those who have trouble losing weight. And so our sensory system has a role in our metabolisms and how we burn calories. And again, those subconscious triggers I talk so much about. Sometimes it just hijacks our brain. It just happens. We don't know what's going on. So they're actually looking with people. Can you knock out their sense of smell for six months? You know, lose the weight and then they'll come back. They're trying to figure out how to do this in humans. And this also helps people with eating disorders because sometimes they have a hard time controlling how much food they're eating, controlling the cravings, knowing when to stop. And so they're taking a look that this might be a very, very helpful thing. The main message being is that, remember, up to 95% of influence involves subconscious triggers. It could be a smell. It could be a color. It could be a word choice. It could be a gesture. We don't know sometimes. Again, kind of an obscure article, but I thought that was fascinating that the mice ate the same amount, but when they couldn't smell it, they lost weight. And the other ones gained twice as much. Just something to think about as we dive into the world of persuasion and influence and finish up. Our last podcast, hopefully we can finish up. I have a lot of great information for you. Hopefully you listen to podcast 201. We were getting into the psychology of price. That price is not the issue. You're the issues. And give you techniques and tools to make price a non-issue. And we talked about mindset and we talked about sweeten the deal. So let's continue with that and get into number three, which is the number. The number you use, the actual price. So studies show that odd numbers are always more persuasive than even numbers. Especially if you're going to do a budget or negotiation, like $100,000. Well, 
Well, where'd you get that? Did you pull it out of the air? No, make it an odd number. Make it end at an odd number. $102,407 is more persuasive than $100,000 because it looks like you've done the research and you haven't pulled it out of the air, even though it's a larger number. And so when it ends at an odd number, it's more persuasive. It used to be the number nine, but now it's the number seven. When things end in the number seven, for some reason, it's more persuasive than that. It's not that we're that dumb, like, well, $9.97, that's $10. That's part of it. The studies do show that that does sell better every time. But part of it, too, is the precision of the odd number is more persuasive and how we place those numbers. And so that's an interesting one, the way we use numbers, the way we see numbers. An interesting study was done with restaurants, which we talked about last week, restaurants and verbal packaging and pricing. Well, what if it was $12, the dollar sign 12.00, or just $12, the dollar sign the number 12, or the number 12? Or what if we spelled out the number 12, right? They're all $12, but they're all very different. Which one pulls better? Do we spell it out, T-W-E-L-V-E? Do we put the dollar sign? Do we put the decimals? Well, the one that pulled the best was just the number 12, one, two, just the number 12 out pulled dollar sign 12.00, out pulled dollar sign 12, just the number 12 was the one that out pulled on a menu. Isn't that interesting? So just the way we come up with numbers, the way we price things, very important. In fact, Dan Ariely's done some studies on this and just the placement of numbers and the numbers that we think about. This one's wild. So he had people think about the last two digits of their social security number. Then they had them estimate the cost of a cordless keyboard. Now, they chose cordless keyboard because that's not something that most people know the exact price of. They would have said gallon of milk or eggs. It would have been different. But this was just something that was out there. And they wanted to estimate what is the cost of the cordless keyboard. They showed up a picture. And here's what's interesting. For those who had Social Security numbers, remember, they're thinking of the last two digits. From 0 to 19, estimated at $16.09. Those that had the two digits of 20 to 39, it was $26.92 on average. 40 to 49 was 29.27 on average. 60 to 79 was 34.55 on average. And those who had social security numbers between 80 and 99, remember the last two digits, estimated on average, here's the average of 55.64. And so there's something about numbers and the numbers they see first, the numbers they think about first. And we don't even realize that. In fact, as doing research for the second edition of my book, Maximum Influence, this came up again and again, just the contrast and pricing facts that our brain always sees the left-hand digits over the right-hand digits when we look at price, right? We see the dollars, not the cents. Because most consumers tend to round down. $9.99 is 9 bucks. In fact, a study was done that they looked at the price of an item. And uh, they looked at $0.89 cents versus $0.75, cents, $0.93 cents versus $0.79. Cents. And if you subtract both, they're both $0.14. Cents. But the one that went from $0.93 cents to $0.79, cents, it looks like a bigger jump and felt it was a greater reduction, even though it was only $0.40. Cents. We found out mail order catalogs would edited an odd number like 99 cents. It outsold others by 8%. Another research found what ended at 9 was 10% jump. So something to think about with the numbers. Don't just pull it out of the air. There's psychology behind the numbers. All right, let's get to number four. This is known as DITF or door in the face. One of my favorite, very common techniques, especially in negotiations, your door slammed in your face. Well, no way, can't do it. This is about the only time you want to get a no. When you're trying to adjust the perception of price, value, effort, budget, this is a great thing, especially in negotiations because, remember, our brain has that benchmark we talked about in the previous episode. We have to create that benchmark. And that's what door in the face does. It changes that benchmark, that expectations. So the best way to explain this is let me give you some studies. Love the studies. Everything I teach is based on studies. So they went to people and said, hey, we donate blood today. There's a blood drive going on. Come on, save some lives. 31% said, okay. It's all right. Then they use the door in the face technique. 
Remember, this time you want to get that first no and then come back with a yes. And so they would say, hey, will you donate blood every two months for the next three years? And they're like, no, I can't commit to that. I don't know my schedule. I don't know what I'll be working. What? Okay, I understand. We at least donate today. And it went up to 49%. That's almost a 20% increase just by using the door in the face first, by putting things into perspective. Because remember, the knee-jerk reaction, too expensive, can't afford it, don't have the time, don't have the budget, don't have the resources, don't have the team. You have to put things in perspective. And they found out with the local high school team, they were going door-to-door like they know you in your neighborhoods probably, and they would ask people for a $25 donation, and they got that. But when they asked for a $100 donation, they said, can you at least give us 25 right? So door in the face was 100 They would backtrack to 25 it increased compliance by 17%. Now, on the negative side, the dark side, people use this in the opposite way in real estate in a very negative way. And I want to tell you not to use it, but so you understand this concept and if it ever happens to you, not to fall for it. So if you list your house for $300,000, someone's going to come by and I'll, I'll give you 180. You're like, no. I'll give you one next person, 200. No. Next person, 190. No. Right? All these no's, but it's adjusted your perception. And then people don't realize that these first three or four offers, <laughs> okay, are from the same company. They just adjust your perception of value because psychologically, you're like, well, wait a minute, I've had these offers, what's going on? That's kind of the dirty deed, as we call those. Another one I use with college students, I've noticed that there's an increased whining every year. They whine about everything now. And so <laughs> I'd ask for a 10 page paper, they'd whine. I'm like, this is college, you write papers, this is what you do. And so I use this. I ask for a 20 page paper, they whine, they complain. I say, all right, tell you what, you do these many resources and you do this style. I'll make it 10 pages. They cheer. They're excited. They're happy. It's what I wanted anyway. That is the joy of door in the face. Another interesting study, volunteers went door to door to try to get people to give money for this made-up charity. And they were doing this fundraiser for bullying against cancer. And they tried to get people to volunteer to help out. And so they looked at large requests, medium requests, and small requests. And so the large request was, we're looking for volunteers to help with this event. It takes about 10 hours a week. Would you be interested? That's the large The moderate was, we're looking for people to take part in our event. We need you to raise at least $30 of pledges and come bowl with us. Would you be interested? And the small is, since you can't participate or volunteer, would you like to sponsor me for the event? Any amount would be fine. What they found is the larger the first request, the higher the compliance for the second request. They did it again and again and again. Again, it's door in the face, a very powerful concept that you can use. We see this with automobile dealers. I'm looking at the $15,000 car. They're going to show you a $30,000 car because you're going to leave with a $20,000 car. Audio video stores. I'm looking at the $1,000 TV. They'll show you the $5,000 TV. You'll leave with a $2,000 TV. The study shows this time and time again, even with caskets. When they show the most expensive casket first, then it increased the amount of the sale by 45%. Right? This is real. We see it all the time. We even see it in the, the commercials, infomercials, the diet commercials. The before and after picture, the before picture, what, what? The black and white, they're frowning, their gut's hanging down, they're all slumped over in the after, they're smiling, they're tan, they're in a swimsuit, they're sucking in their gut. Yeah, it's still door in the face. So contrasting those two things can adjust the perception of value, time, effort, resources when you're working with people. Now, even in negotiation, this is critical because you're going to establish a starting point in the negotiation. Now, many of you have been to negotiation training like, never make the first offer. Uh, wrong, delete that from your brain, not correct, what are you thinking? Now, if you haven't done any research and you have no idea what the property's worth or whatever your negotiating's worth, you don't want to make the first offer. But I'm assuming you've done your research because that's what great persuaders do. That's what great negotiators do. They know all the numbers. Here's what we found. This is what the research showing. Those that make the first offer, first of all, it opens up the trust and the reciprocation in the negotiation. 
If both people have been in the same negotiation training, don't make the first offer, don't make the first offer, there's all this silence, you don't get anywhere. Make the first offer because here's what the studies show. The person that makes the first offer dictates the starting point of the negotiation as high or as low as you want to go. And statistically speaking, you're going to get a better deal. That's what science shows. So that's part of this too. Door in the face. It's okay to make the first offer. You start the starting point of the negotiation. That gives you a lot of power as far as dictating the final point of the negotiation. All right, number five is atmosphere. Especially in a retail setting, you're bringing somebody someplace. Atmosphere matters. It's part of the subconscious triggers. I talk about it in the law of association and maximum influence. That atmosphere matters. How much would you pay for popcorn at 7-Eleven versus a movie theater? It's different. You realize how much money you pay for popcorn at a movie theater? You get the smell. Remember our olfactory system? And you're thinking, wait a minute. Popcorn? This has got you a 10 cents. You're charging me six, eight bucks for this popcorn. It's atmosphere. It's the smell. It's the expectation. It's just different. And they did a study with the cost of beer. At a resort, people pay 10 times more for beer than they would at a convenience store. The expectation, the atmosphere, that is a challenge. What you pay for a hot dog at a sporting event, again, is different than 7-Eleven versus buying it at a restaurant. We pay same thing, different prices for different things. Even airline seats. Isn't that ironic that we're all getting pretty much the same thing. We're getting to the destination, but there's probably 100 different prices on those seats. Oh, you want first class? That's more. But oh, you want an aisle now? They're changing. Oh, middle seat's cheaper. Oh, if you want to be back by the bathroom. And sometimes even the same aisle seat, people will change $100 more when they change the pricing. So atmosphere, timing is part of this too. That's a critical thing, the whole atmosphere. I don't know if you're a Seinfeld fan. I'm a big Seinfeld fan. And my kids just went to New York to visit. Uh, and they, one of the places they stopped at was the Soup Nazi place, if you've been there. If you don't know what that is, you could go to YouTube and watch George and the Soup Nazi. But basically, the soup was so incredibly good that if you were rude in any way, if you didn't follow the ordering procedure, you were kicked out and banned for soup for the life or for months. Okay, And that's the atmosphere these created. You've probably seen that at some restaurants and some nightclubs. That We'll see if we're going to let you in. We'll see if we'll let you spend money. We'll see if we'll let you order food. We even see it at some universities. Yeah, we'll see if we'll let you in. Versus if you went to, say, Nordstrom, you expect customer service. You expect them to bend over backwards. That's part of the atmosphere. And people don't understand that going to someone's house is a different price than going to the store versus getting it online, different perceptions of value there. The best example I can give you is Starbucks. This is a great example, great study. I mean, how much is a cup of coffee really worth? I mean, really. So when Starbucks launched their coffee stores, they had to deal with the perception of pricing. Why would they get consumers to spend five, ten times more for a cup of coffee? How would they do that? Because the perception of coffee, you go to a local donut store or someplace, they pour it out of a dirty glass container into a cup, you buy a small, medium, and large, and you're done. You pay 25 cents, maybe 50 cents. Okay? That's the perception. And here's Starbucks. They want to charge ten times more than that. Can you believe that? Ten times more. So what did they do? Well, they changed the whole experience. They changed the atmosphere. It's a high-end decor with the smell pumped in, the environment. You have the coffee in the different regions around the world. It's almost like a winery, you know, different perception. They change the names of the cup sizes. you got to get a grande, right? And that's the perception of price. They have a barista that create it for you. They, you can hang out, free Wi-Fi. That's the key. That's what's happening. And so they've changed the perception, different experience. You can't compare donut shop coffee with Starbucks. You just can't do that now. 
or software packaging, you've probably noticed this box is a hundred times bigger than the actual CD or what you're getting because there's a perception of value. You just spent a thousand bucks. You want a big box, even though you don't need a big box. You could download it if you want, but they're going to send you a big box. I know that's a challenge in, in my industry. I have this Influence Mastery Kit that used to have over 70 CDs. There was thousands of pages of information workbooks. and It's part of a coaching program. And the perception is big because it comes in this huge, heavy box. Now people download it and they don't want to pay as much. And so that's, there's a perception of pricing there. So atmosphere is critical. Number six, symbols. The symbols around. Do they see symbols of gold? Does that help or hurt, right? The symbol of Ferrari, the decor. What do you see when you walk in? Let me give you some examples. Look, at, seeing a credit card logo either on a door in a retail setting or online takes the pain away from purchasing. You get people to use a credit card, they're going to spend more. Even when they're spending cash and they see the credit card logo, they spend more. There's something about delaying the pain, putting it off of purchasing. That's what a credit card does. That's why people want you to use them. That's why at a casino... They take your cash and give you chips because chips isn't the same as cash, right? It's different. Even though logically, no, no, it's the same. It's a chip. That's why they don't have you use cash. Or if you buy tokens at a video game place, you know, $5 for tokens, it's not the same. Let's just spend them. You don't want to save them. You're going to spend them there. There's something about the symbols of all those things that make a big difference. There's something about symbols on your website, on your store, and people walk in. Is this the Least expensive place or the most expensive place, people don't think about the symbols or even colors. I mean, one study shows that the acceptance of rejection of a product based on colors is 60%. And we don't even think about it. That's a symbol, too, the colors. Laundry detergent, when it's blue, it's too weak. You know, the outside of the container. When it's yellow, it's too harsh. But blue and yellow, it's just right. Even the color flex and tide, they did all the research to find out which ones people see as cleaning the clothes better. Even though it doesn't, we got to look at those symbols and those colors and those association triggers that we don't even think about. And here's the challenge with this is you don't know. You're in your office every day. You're with your company every day. You look at your brochures every day. You're at your web website every day. You don't see it because you see it all the time. What do other people see the first time? The colors, the symbols on your websites, what are they seeing? Because our brain sees a symbol and it's an instant feeling. It could be skull and crossbones. That's an instant symbol. You probably don't want that on your website unless you're doing poison control. And when you see a police car, you step on the brakes whether you're speeding or not. Those are things that make a huge difference. So those are symbols. Wow. I hope you're taking notes here. I even got to the good stuff yet. We're already out of time for this week's podcast. And we've never done this before in the history of this podcast. It's gone into a third episode. But based on the email and response that I'm giving, I'm going to get you some more tools and spend at least another show on pricing, the psychology of price, and being able to help you out. This is a critical aspect of your success and what you'll be able to accomplish. Remember, price is not the issue. You're the issue. Understand exactly how that works. But thanks for listening today. Tell your friends. Go to MaximizeYourInfluence.com. Like us on iTunes. And, of course, on Facebook and Pinterest. We're at Maximize Your Influence. Appreciate your time. Appreciate your support. Really love the feedback that I'm getting here. Master these skills and go out and persuade with power.